Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning that we are conscious of your presence here. Lord, we thank you. As David said, I magnified the Lord. And Lord, we thank you as we have sung this morning that you have been lifted up and magnified in our hearts. Lord, we thank you this morning that you are in this place. And we simply ask you, Lord Jesus, to remove any thought that would try and raise itself up against you. Lord, we ask you simply, if there is any thought in our minds that is trying to hold us back from entering into everything that you have for us, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us the power to subdue that thought and to bring it captive, to make it obedient to everything that you have for us. We thank you, Lord, that your word is living, it is active, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, we thank you that you have exhorted us and encouraged us to let the word of Christ dwell within us richly. And we pray for the rest of our time on this earth that your word, not the cheap words of this world, not the cheap substitutes that fill our minds and our lives so many times, but your word, Lord, would dwell within us richly and we would be everything that you have promised we can be. We ask this in the name of Jesus for your glory, for the extension of your kingdom, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, in Newport as it is in heaven. In our homes, in our lives, in our minds. Holy Spirit, you are our helper. You are our comforter. You are our teacher. You are the one that brings us into all truth. You said, be filled with the Spirit. And Lord, we give our lives and we lay our lives down today afresh. Because they do not belong to us. They belong to you. They've been purchased by you. Our lives are not our own. So take them up and use them, we pray. In Jesus' name, we ask it for your glory. Let's give him a praise this morning. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Isn't it great to have Pastor Ray home with us this morning? When, he, uh, when I knew he was coming this morning, I said, Pastor Ray, are you going to preach? And he said, no, you can preach. So, but I've, I've already asked him on your behalf to preach this morning. And he turned us down. If he changes, listen, if I'm five minutes into this this morning and he changes his mind, is that all right with you? It's all right with me, I can tell you. Because we are not about here giving and delivering a 40-minute message that's, 
you know, just based on how it should be done in church. No, we've got to change our minds in relation to that. You know, okay, great. People, you know, the word has got to be delivered, but we've got to be open to what the Holy Spirit wants, not to what maybe we would want, because he wants your best. He wants my best. So let's always just be open for the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do. Amen? And not get offended by what he may do, but accept what he wants to do, because isn't it wonderful to know that at the core of the Holy Spirit's calling, He's come as a helper. That's his name. He could have chosen any other name. He could have chosen some big, bright, lighted name that would try and impress us. But he humbly comes as a helper. That's what he wants to be known as. And that, I tell you, is who he is. Well, over the last few weeks, or week before last week, we started talking about entering into God's rest. From Hebrews chapter 4, we looked at Hebrews and we saw how God has a wonderful place of rest for us to enter as a result of Christ's finished work on the cross. As a result of what Jesus has done for our lives, he has given us access into a dimension of life that is supernatural. This is not a natural life. Yes, we have a natural life and it's not always easy for us to understand because supernatural things are supernatural. They're not just natural and normal. But Jesus has provided a life for you and me that is supernatural, whereby we can enter a rest, whereby we can completely trust God with all of our circumstances of life, with all of the things that would try and distract us, all of life's events, all of life's crises. We can rest when life comes at you full on, when, when circumstances surprise you and you don't know what to do. You don't have to feel you don't have to be perturbed you don't have to run and hide you can face it confidently not because you're anything but because God is everything and he has provided a rest for you and I he really has the only requirement the only prerequisite is that we listen to his word hear his word and mix it with faith mix it with faith and believe it And suddenly when you hear the word of God come to you, when you hear that fresh word from his mouth come into a crisis and you you unite your faith with it, something wonderful happens. It's like the sperm hitting the egg. Conception. And it may be embryonic, but it's living in you, it's growing in you, and you're alive to it. Hebrews chapter 4, God, or the writer reflects back on the time where the children of Israel, God redeemed them from, the, from Egypt. He took them out with a mighty deliverance from Egypt. And he's thinking back and he's looking back and he's asking the question as to why they didn't enter the rest that God had for them. And the conclusion was simple. He said, they did not enter the rest that, that God had for them because they didn't mix uh, the, the word that they heard with the faith of their heart. It's very simple. God was, God was speaking to them. In fact, 
the, the, the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 4 says, listen, the same gospel that was preached to you was the same gospel that was preached to them, but they, they hardened their heart and they resisted it and they said, it's, it's, it's not for us. And they rebelled against God. And God said because of that reason they couldn't enter this wonderful rest, this wonderful supernatural relationship with God. And it was very sad. It was very sad. God is coming to us. I believe that many of us are at the greatest point in our Christian lives. We are at the greatest moment whereby God is saying, come on, come into my rest. Come on, enter into my rest. Don't let anything distract you. Don't let anything take you back. Don't let anything take you away from what I've got for you. And we may come to God and we say, well, God, what about this circumstance? What about this uncontrollable event? What about this black picture, this hellish picture that's against me? And God comes back and he says, listen, you just sit back and rest. Be still and know that I am God. When you come to the end of your work, that's when I roll up my sleeves and get to work on your circumstance, on your crisis, on your darkest night. I'm telling you. You don't have to run at your circumstance and start being afraid and trying to get everything together. You'll never get it together. We are weak. He is strong. I love that line in, in Thou Art My Great Redeemer. Right at the beginning, the, the hymnist says, We are weak, but Thou art mighty. He is not changed. He's still the same. He is still the same. We thought about some enemies of rest. Enemies of rest that would try and keep us out of what God has for us. And I just thought of three, there's, there's many, many more, I'm sure. But three enemies of rest. Firstly, unresolved issues with the past. If there's an enemy of rest, it's your past. And the enemy tries to use our past against us. But God's dealt a severe blow with our past. You haven't got to look back. You've got, to, you, you, you've got to look forward into everything that God's got for you. You know, this is an age-old problem with the past that people have with the past. In Isaiah's day, God brought a word to the prophet Isaiah. And, and he wanted to communicate something to his people about their past. He says, don't remember the former things. Stop looking back there. Behold, I do a new thing. Suddenly it comes forth. I'm telling you now, you haven't got to remember yesterday's problems. You haven't got to remember what happened 20 years ago or 30 years ago and feel guilty about it. God's dealt a severe blow to your past. It is finished, Jesus said. He didn't say you're finished. He didn't say I'm finished he said it is finished hallelujah your past is over it is over that's why Paul could confidently say forgetting the things that are behind me I press on I'm going forward into everything that Christ has for me no there's no unresolved issues with the past as far as God is concerned as far as the east is from the west I remember your sin no more. What did Paul say to the Corinthians? He says, you're brand new in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. Behold, all things about your life have become brand new. Don't look back. Don't look back 
on a life of failure. Don't look back on the past. And yes, there may be some darkness there. There may be some hurts there that come up now and again. But listen, draw on Jesus. Go to your knees and say, oh, if you've got a problem with your past, oh God, please help me. He'll hear you. And all of that stuff will be resolved. God's got awesome things for us. Wonderful things for us. Unresolved issues of the past. Niggling things. The past tries to haunt us. The the past tries to stalk us. God says, listen, it's over. It's done with. The only thing that God's got regarding your past is promises to tell you that it's all gone. It's all been washed away. It's all finished. That's how God looks on your past. Let's start seeing how God sees our past in the same way. In the same way. And then sometimes, you know, if it's not unresolved issues with the past that that cause us to come out of this rest that God wants us to enjoy, it's present problems that are bigger than us. Sometimes there can be immediate problems, pressing problems, and you get all panicked, you get all worried, you get all concerned, fretful. You know, the the, the root meaning of the word anxious, the root meaning of the word anxious is to fall to pieces. To fall to pieces. Have you ever fallen to pieces? (laughs) I fell to pieces in the kitchen once. I was falling to pieces for a while. And then suddenly it all came on me in the kitchen one day. I was in the house and I just fell to pieces and I was crying. And I cried for literally maybe 10 seconds and suddenly he was there. He said, you're not going to fall to pieces. Be anxious for nothing. But with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Don't worry about it. Give it to him. Come boldly before the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy in time of need. And you go before him. And suddenly, you see, we can't do anything. He loves it when we're weak. I'm preaching this this morning. I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm, I've got this. Why, God? I'm trying to do my best. Pastor Ray knows. I'm trying to do my best. But there's a dimension of life that is supernatural. There is a dimension of life. What is it to be a Christian? What is it to be? What is what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean? Well, you can't find any better definition than in the Bible. And the definition that the apostle Paul gives, this is what being a Christian is about. It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives inside me. Woohoo! Have you ever been to your own funeral? You have if you're born again, people. You are dead in the grave in Christ, and the life that you now live, you live for Him. You're not living anymore. Stop trying. Stop trying. Like we said, watch Manee said. You can either try or you can trust. And the difference between trying and trusting is the difference between heaven and hell. You can try and live like hell. You'll never get there. Or you can just try, trust and accept and it'll all come in. 
Problems that are bigger than you in your immediate very often want to break and fragment that trust, that place, that position of rest that God has allowed you to come into. And yet in the midst of it all, just rest, sleep like Jesus did in the boat. In the, in the bow of the boat. And even though the boat was filling up with water and his clothes were getting wet, he slept. And the boat was sinking and it was breaking apart. But he slept. He rested. Why? Because he'd already told them they were going to the other side. And his words matter. His words carry weight. And when he says something, it has to be. And even though they panicked, you see. Master, master, we're perishing. Don't you care for us? What a question. When immediate problems are bigger than you, when you can't deal with life, the, 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 the question that comes into your heart so strong from a voice of fear is, God, do you really care? Do you really care for me? Of course he cares. He will stand and still the storm. And if we went around this room this morning and asked the question, God, if we ask the question this morning, around this room, whose storms has God stilled? I'm sure many of us will be able to recount and stand to our feet and say, do you know what? I thought the boat was going down. I thought he didn't care. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, he said, peace be still. And everything was calm. Everything was still, like a mill pond. No, even though problems may come and they may seem bigger than you in your immediate and they may try to take you out of that rested position that God has placed you in. Don't come out of it. Trust him. Trust him. Don't do anything. Don't do anything. Do you know what? Sometimes we've got to keep our mouths shut. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. Let God speak for you. Let God do what he's going to do. Just allow him. Don't you think he's looking at you? Don't, he, don't you think that he sees what's going on around you? In that cesspool that's trying to destroy you? Let him do his work. Rest. And then sometimes another area that we struggle with regarding our rest is that we have suspicions about the future. God has said things to us. He's placed things in our hearts. And he's, he said, I'm going to do this with you and I'm going to do that with you. Or, or even in his church. But we've got, a, we've, got a, we've got a suspicious mind. We're suspicious about the future. Well, did God really say that? Did he really mean it? And, and we get assailed by the enemy and we get assailed by fear. And we become suspicious about the future and the enemy leads us out of the rest that we should be established in, you see. We looked just how God led his children out of Egypt. And the main issue for Pharaoh, the main issue for Pharaoh was that he did not want to let God's people go for a feast for three days into the wilderness. And he said this to Moses, because they might become rested. You see, the enemy doesn't want you to have a rested place in God. 
He does not want you to have this simplicity of life where nothing else matters out here, but everything matters in here, and you're at a complete place of stillness, absolutely still, unmoved by anything. He doesn't want you to have that. So he fought them, and he said, he said, take the straw away that they're using to make the bricks. Let's make it harder for them. Because actually, even though they built us cities, even though they built all of these things for 400 years, they're actually idle. So he increased their labor and he whipped them harder. Because the enemy was fighting this simplicity of life whereby the people of God could rest in God and allow him to work whilst they trusted him. God delivered them with a mighty hand. They put blood on the, on the lintels of the doorpost. And what did God say to them? The only thing the, the Israelites had to do was just, you know, sit in the house. I'll go to work in the streets of Egypt. I'll do my work. You just stay in there. You don't, you don't want to see what I'm going to do on this night. You don't want to be around when I'm working and when I'm bringing closure on your history. You don't want to see that. You just stay in and have a rest inside. Have a meal together. Enjoy each other's company. You just relax. I'm going to go to work. And God goes down and I'm telling you now, he smacks Pharaoh so hard. So hard. He had brought Pharaoh to this point. He had brought Pharaoh to this moment. And he smashed their resolve. He smashed his pride, and his power in that nation. And in the end, the Egyptians were begging the Israelites to leave. They were begging them. They were, they were trying to expel them and eject them as fast as they could. And not only just get rid of them, they were giving them gold. They were giving them silver. They were giving them cattle. They were laden with wealth. Why? Because God had put pressure on that nation. And he wasn't messing about I'm telling you now, you don't play around with God. I tell you now, you don't. Oh man, I tell you, we are so, so blessed to be in his family. We are so blessed to be in God's house. We are so blessed to be called his children. We should never take it for granted. And out they went. And God wasn't in a rush. Read the Exodus. They just walked out. Just walking, relaxing. God wasn't in a panic. Quick, quick, I've struck all the firstborn. Now get out of here as quick as possible. We're in a rush. No, God's not into rushing. See, he's in control. God's not rushing anywhere. God's in control. David said, if I go into the depths of hell, you are there. We've sung about it this morning. If I go to the outermost parts of heaven, you are there, God. In fact, there isn't anywhere where you aren't. You're omnipresent. You're everywhere at once. God's not in a rush. He's just leading his people out. And Moses, they get to a very, very, in their minds, a very fearful place because they've got a sea before them and mountains around them. And they're certainly not in a restful position, in a restful place. And suddenly, Pharaoh has a change of mind. I mean, this guy is absolutely crazy. But God's behind it. God's pushing the buttons in Pharaoh. God is, is actually fueling the pride of this evil, wicked man. God's setting him up. Does God set people up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he does. You don't play with God. None of us. None of us can play with God. None of us. 
We've got to walk humbly before God. We've got to walk humbly in our hearts before God. And we don't get into a whole works thing. You understand, you know, what I'm trying to say. We've, we've just got to keep our hearts right before God. He's pressing this man's buttons, and then uh, Pharaoh decides to get all of his military chariots, this huge machine of war that was renowned throughout the world. And he, he, he's hot on their heels, and they see what's coming towards them over the horizon. Their past is coming towards them, and the noise of it all, and the violence of it all. And then all of a sudden, Israel start to scream and shout. And they, you see, when, when the circumstances of life in your immediate get bigger and beyond you, you can either turn against God or you can turn to him. And it's amazing, you know, over times to, to have watched people, when life gets hard, they turn to God. They turn to God. I've seen it for years with Pastor Ray. Life gets hard. Turns to God. Doesn't turn on God. Turns to God. What an example. What an example. I was saying to Pastor Ray the other day. You know, and me and Dale actually used to talk about this quite a lot. You know, somebody come in the office with Pastor Ray and they start barking. Ba, 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 Like a dog. Showing their fangs and showing their teeth and their claws. And Pastor Ray just sit there on the couch and just let them bark away. And he would, just, he would just talk to them like a father. Just talk to them from a rested place of life. And I'd scratch my head. I'd tell you all the time. I'd, sc- I'd say, Ray, man, how do you do that? How don't you get angry? How don't you, sh- you bite back? Well, boy. <laughs> See, it's like, the, it's like the, the master craftsman talking to the apprentice, isn't it? That's what it's like. Well, boy, you just got to trust him, see. Don't worry about anything. It's a bit simple. But you know what? Oh, God, what a rich life. What a beautiful life in Christ Jesus where you don't live anymore, where you don't come out fighting and showing your teeth and showing your nails. And... But you just let Jesus... Well, son, you know, well, boy, all things work together for good, don't they? And uh, do you know, he'd, uh, he'd often say this, uh, it's good to say this, because you know, you know then, the pastor that is a blessing to us in this house, the father of this house, it's good to say this. You know, sometimes things had come to try and complicate the purpose of this house. Try and complicate it, and, and it would come like, a, like, a, like an attack. And uh, me and Dale would be there. I wonder what Pastor's going to do now, wouldn't we, Dale? I wonder what, wonder what Pastor's going to do now with this. Oh, this is a good one. This is going to test him. And he'd come in, he'd walk in, bright as ever. Do you know one of the things about Pastor Ray... He's, he's like flipping, just happy all the time, isn't he? Isn't he? He is. I've asked, I said, God, how does he do that? He's funny, right? He's hilarious. You're laughing and all of that stuff. And then, you know, but he's just happy. He's up. Because that's Jesus, you see, for him. Not, for, not necessarily for all of us. 
But that's Jesus in him. That's something special that Jesus has given him. And he, uh, we had this problem once, right? And uh, how's he going to do this, Dale? Oh, this is a good one. This will test him. And he comes in confident. Hey, boys. Mm. Didn't expect that from you this morning, Pastor. Well, boys, been on the golf course, haven't I? <laughs> on the golf course. Yeah, been on the golf course, boys. Chatting with Jesus. And boys, I'll never, I'll never forget. It was on the ninth hole, boys. <laughs> it was on the ninth hole. He gave me wisdom for the whole thing. And we went in, right? Or he went in. We went with him, just to, like the little apprentices. Go on, pastor. Give it him, pastor. Sat down. And he just, and I can say this because this is a long time ago, right? It's not recent. It's a long time ago. He sat down and he said, well, and, and people just delivered their plans. This is what we're doing, and this is what we're doing, and this is what we're doing, and, and we're going to do it. Pastor Ray said, well, look, this is just what Jesus has said to me this morning, on the golf course, actually. <laughs> and he said, he told them, he said, look, this is the wisdom, and, and you can go and do that. But the thing is, look, I have to tell you, Jesus isn't building with you. Oh! Jesus, how dare you? All right, no problem. Well, a year in, you know, it was evident to see that Jesus wasn't building with them. You see, when you rest and God speaks to you and God speaks to me, it's up to him then, it's over to him. He rolls his sleeves up and goes to work. You just sleep in the bed like Elisha when the, when the uh, Syrian army surrounded the city of Dotham. And you just relax in and the little servants run in like me and Dale. And we say, don't you realize the armies of Syria are all around? And little Elisha. Open his eyes, Lord. And he sees, and his eyes are opened, and suddenly he sees what the prophet sees. And he sees the armies of heaven. You see, son, see, boy, those who are for us are more than those who are against us. Rest, rest, trust in him, in him. He's got it all sorted. He's got it all sorted. So anyway, Pharaoh is there, military machine, dust everywhere. The children of Israel, over two million of them, are screaming at Moses, screaming at God. Exodus chapter 14, verse 10 to 12 says this, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us this way to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt? Say and let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness 
So there's a huge problem, an immediate problem. And these people, over two million of them, certainly aren't in the rest of God. They're not trusting God. And listen, I am not pointing my finger here this morning at these people. Because I think this was a very fearful place to be at. And I don't know, I probably would have been joining them in saying this and screaming at Moses. You see, they were turning against God instead of turning to God. But the great thing about Jesus living inside us and the Holy Spirit being with us is that he doesn't turn us against God. He turns us to God. He really does. He really does. And then suddenly... Moses says to them, stand still, stand still, hold your peace, take the posture of rest. God's about to do something. And God turns up and he starts talking to Moses. <laughs> what are they all bothered about? I mean, oh man, read it, read it. What are they all, you know, getting freaked out about? The Egyptians that you see today, you will no longer see forever. And God opens the sea. They walk through on dry ground, two million of them. But before that happened, God separated their past from their future. What did he do? He just stood in the middle of the Egyptians and the Israelites. You can read it. You can read it. And to the, to the Egyptians, he was darkness. And to the Israelites, he was light. You see, God in one moment can be darkness on your past and light on your future. That's the amazing thing about God. He can be darkness and light at the same time. It's incredible. It's supernatural. It's wonderful. And the Egyptians couldn't go anywhere until God lifted the darkness. Because he was going to deal with their past. The Egyptians come through the the, the Red Sea. Like the Israelites did. They got halfway in. And this is the thing about God. I tell you, he is into the details. He's into the small things. Before he closed the whole sea down on them, he just took the wheels off of chariots. That's humor. Oh, that's humor. That's frightening. That, the psychology in that, I tell you now, that will freak you out. They put their trust in those 600 chariots. Those, they, they had such a strong reputation around the world for being such a, a, a massive military machine. They get into the Red Sea and God just takes the wheels off first. Before he closes the sea, just takes the wheels off. Oh, I'm telling you now, he's an awesome God. He is an awesome God. We might be calling him almighty, but he is still almighty. I tell you now, he is almighty and he can do whatever he wants. Then suddenly he closes the sea. He closes the sea. Exodus 15. Exodus 15. They get to the other side of the sea and now they're singing. Fantastic. They're singing. The horse and the rider has fallen into the sea. And this music comes out of Miriam. And the Bible says that she leads the whole company of women with tambourines singing and shouting. And the the song that comes forward is incredible. It really is. What a wonderful song. What a wonderful place to be delivered. However, maybe they sang the right song on the wrong side. Maybe they should have sung their song before the sea opened. Maybe they should have rejoiced and rested 
and exclaimed all of the wonderful things about God's character and God's power and God's might before the miracle happened. They sang the right song, but on the wrong side, on the wrong side of the sea. This is the place of rest that God wants us to enter. It really is. Come now, think about just one event in the New Testament where they sang the right song on the right side before the miracle happened. Paul and Silas, they're in jail. They've been whipped and beaten. They've been captured. The whole city's against them. They've gone from the, to the magistrates and they turned against them and they're thrown in prison, chained, aching in the darkest moment of their lives. But what the enemy couldn't take from them was the rest, the trust that was in their hearts as a result of Christ being the master in the storm. And at midnight, the Bible says, whilst they were still chained, at midnight, whilst no miracle had happened, at midnight, in the darkest moment, when all of the other prisoners could hear them, whilst the jail attendant was sleeping, they sang and prayed. And suddenly, the Bible says, a great earthquake shook the very foundations of the prison and every prisoner's chain fell off. It fell off and God supernaturally worked in power. The man brought a light. The jail attendant woke up from his sleep because now God had worked for these men who were firmly established in their rest in him. And they were free. And the man comes in and he says, what must I do to be saved? And the rest is history. He led him and his family to Christ. But this is the rest, you see, that God wants us to have. This is the rest that God wants to instill in us, whereby no outer circumstance or event can take us out of what God has for us. I'm going to ask the musicians just to come. Finally, what was Peter doing? What was Peter doing? Before I hand back to Pastor Ray, what was Peter doing when he was in prison? James, the brother of John, had been killed by the sword. Peter was sleeping, sleeping, fast asleep. The angel had to wake him up, get him out of his sleep, tell him to put his clothes on. And suddenly, the doors were opened. The iron gate of the city just opened before them. And Peter had more trouble getting into a prayer meeting than he did getting out of prison. Why? Because he had learned, he had learned to rest in what Jesus had done for him. Rest. Rest in what Jesus has done for you. Amen. Come on, church. Let's give Jesus a shout for his word.